Pastor Angelo. I'm one of the pastors here, and thank you, um, Pastor John, for letting me, uh, allowing me to preach this morning and allowing you to take another Sunday off. I, we, uh, I uh, haven't, haven't, been, um, haven't been able to share with you in a little while, so I'm, I'm glad to be back up here and uh, able to share with, from the Word from you. Um, I even dressed up for you. I, uh, I was like, I was telling the youth this morning, I was teaching the youth, and I said, look, I, I, I mentioned that I was preaching. They said, oh, you're preaching? I said, you couldn't tell I tucked my shirt in. I, I even took my shirt in for you today. So uh, anyway, um, I, I want to start out there. I read an old story about some soldiers who were stationed in Korea during the Korean War. And while they were there, they hired a local kid uh, to cook and clean for them. And uh, being a bunch of jokesters, these guys, they took advantage of the boys' naivete, I guess is what you would call it. And what they, a few things they would do, they would smear Vaseline on the stove handle so that when he came in the morning, you know, he couldn't turn it. He'd get all sticky on his hands. And, you know, they'd pull the old bo- water bucket above the door trick, right, put it up there. So he'd walk in, the water would fall on him and, you know, get all soaking wet. They'd even nail his shoes down to the floor at night. So when he tried to get them, like they were stuck to the floor. Day after day, this kid is the butt of the practical jokes. But he doesn't say a word. No complaining, no blaming, nothing. Just continues to, to do what he was hired to do. And finally, these men, they start to feel guilty about what they'd been doing. So one day they sit him down and they say, look, we know these pranks, they're not funny anymore. We're sorry. We shouldn't have been doing them. We're going to stop doing them now. And it seemed too good to be true to this kid. And he, and he asks, he says, so no more sticky stuff on the stove. And they're like, no, 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 we're not going to do that anymore. And no more water above the door. No, 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 we're, nope, we're not going to do that. No more nailing shoes to the floor. He says, nope. And kid says with a smile, great, no more spit in your soup. We love, I love, I love little jokes like that. Stories where somebody gets their comeuppance, right? Stories where somebody gets what's coming to them, whether it's seeing the guy speed past you and then the cop come out and you go, yes, thank you. You know, somebody got him and you see some, or, you know, that to even seeing somebody who maybe committed a heinous crime, somebody who did something really bad and you see them put to justice, right? Maybe you see it on the news or you read about it in the paper or whatever. Some, you know, these revenge movies that come out, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen like the John Wick movies or anything like that, where it's like somebody, something bad happens to them and they seek revenge and they seek out to make it right. And, you know, I will find you, you know, and I, I am a man of many talents and I will find you and I will, you know, take you out, all those things. Those movies where there's uh, the TV shows where there's like some real bad guy and he finally gets it at the end. We love those stories. Um, we love to see those things. And he, but let's bring it even more personal, right? When something, when somebody does something against you, maybe against a family member, big or little, it's even better when when they get what's coming to them, isn't it? Like somebody does something to you, just the pride. Even if it's like you're just in a petty argument, the pride of knowing that you're right about something and somebody else was wrong. You get in an argument over something and now, right, you used to not be able to figure out what the answer was to some of these questions that you get in arguments about. But now you just pull out the phone. Well, let me see here. Let's see what what Google says. And uh, you look it up and then you, you go, oh, guess what? I was right and you were wrong, right? Those are always good feelings to have. Nowadays, you just look it up and being right, seeing somebody get justice, seeing somebody get what's coming to them, those things are like natural instincts that make us just feel good. German philosopher 
Friedrich Nietzsche said, revenge is the greatest instinct in the human race. Revenge is the greatest instinct in the human race. It's so easy to want to go there, um, to, to gloat when you're justified, to gloat when you're right, when you win, when you're declared the right one, whatever that means, to rub it in somebody's face, to say, I told you so, to laugh, to, to ridicule someone whenever they get what's coming to them. And, and what, 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 what is, what's in us that makes us do that? What's in us that, that makes us lean towards that direction? Now, there's probably a lot of different reasons why we do that. Um, but even in our world today, winner-take-all world, in, in your face, I told you so world, a polarized society where I want to be right at, at any cost. Having a fresh start means choosing rest over revenge. And that's what our, the title of our sermon is today, is choosing rest over revenge. It's easy to want to seek revenge, whatever that means to you your own sense of justice, to try and outwit, to try and put down, to try and win the argument. And I think, I believe that we as Christians are called to, called to rise above that like Daniel does in this story we're going to see. And that takes real courage. That takes real wherewithal. It takes a focus that isn't natural. A focus on God. And as we close this series, I want to encourage you that having a fresh start, we've been talking about fresh start, you know, things are, I feel like well, there's a fresh start in a lot of people's lives during this time, school starting, right, new things, things are new. Having a fresh start begins with having a clean heart. Having a fresh start begins with having a clean heart. We've revisited this verse over and over. We looked at it at the beginning of the year. We've looked at it this series, and we're going to look at it one more time, and I want you to say it with me. It'll be up on the screen. Let's read it, Psalm 51, 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Remember the old song, Create in Me a Clean Heart? I used to sing that a lot as a kid. Asking God to give you a new heart, to renew his spirit within us, to give you a fresh start. That's, that's kind of what that verse is about. It's about a fresh start. And you can do that at any time. That's the beauty of that is that you can decide right now. I'm going to start fresh right now. You can do that at any time. It's always a good time to start fresh, right? What they say about planting a tree, right? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today, right? You could do it today. Finishing Daniel 6, this well-known classic story of a young man who's in a literal and proverbial lion's den. He's in a literal lion's den at one point. But kind of, you think about his life, he's, always, he's kind of been in a lion's den this whole time in this kind of place that where he could be attacked, where he's being attacked. It's, it's this, this place that's opposed to him. And, and he stays true to his God in face of opposition, in face of trials. And then he's vindicated by God. He was rescued, persevered through tribulation, through the exile. And he chooses to obey God rather than men. And in the end, he's taken care of. And, and I want to read what happens at the end of this story as we wrap up Daniel 6. After God saves Daniel from the lion's den, what the result of all of this happens and, uh, and how God shows his power. Let's read it. Daniel 6, 24 through 28. It'll be up on the screen as well. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they even reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote 
to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And verse 28 ends this part, really the part of Daniel's life that we know. It's, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, which we'll get to here in a little bit about that. So we read this and we're like, yes, they got what they deserved. But I want to focus not on what happened there, not on the consequences of these people's decisions, but on Daniel and what we do not see Daniel do. Now, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to read between the lines of Scripture and say, well, just because something didn't happen, just because you didn't read something doesn't mean it didn't happen or anything like that. But, but I think it's very interesting that we don't really see what we don't see from Daniel. I, wa I want you to look at yourself. What do you see him doing here? Do you see him gloating over his enemy's demise? Do you see him going to the king and saying, let's punish them now? Do you hear him saying, I told you so, and holding it over their heads, and, you know, maniacal laughter at the end as the chapter closes out? We don't see any of that. I want to put forward that Daniel makes a choice that we probably wouldn't make in that situation. He made a choice to focus on God and not on his enemies. He chose rest over revenge. He focused on the one who rescued him not on those who tried to hurt him, not on those who opposed him. Daniel chose rest over revenge. And even from the beginning, we see that Daniel's trusting God, right? I mean, as we revisit the story, even the whole book of Daniel, we see that he's putting his relationship with God first. He's putting his values first. He's taking seriously his obedience regardless of what he thought the outcome might be. And we see he prevails. Verse 23, a little bit before this, tells us that he's blameless. There was nothing, he wasn't doing anything wrong. And I want, I want to look at this, and I want to share, I think, three ways that Daniel is able to choose rest over revenge. Three reasons, really. And, and how we can learn from them, especially in our society today, in, in, a, in, a, in a world where it's easy to choose to hit back, and easy, where, it's, where it's easy to choose to, to, to make fun of someone when they're wrong or when they get what's coming to them, where it's shooting back an insult, a quip, right? Um, some kind of response to somebody in the comment section, right? Why am I reading the comment section? Um, and the first thing is that I believe Daniel and we, Daniel chose to rest in God's sovereignty, and I encourage you to do that, rest in God's sovereignty. Knowing sovereignty is a big fancy church word, if you don't know what that means, that means that it, it, God's in control. He is sovereign. Like when you think about a sovereign of a nation, they are the ruler of that nation. They are in control. And, and knowing God is in control, when you really think about it, relieves us of a lot of pressure. Uh, th think about it. You're not the one that's in control. Actually, you don't have, you really, we really don't have that much control. So whatever that's happened, whatever circumstances you're in, it may sound simple, but God is above them. And I know that's easy for us to say, like, say, oh yeah, that is true, but you know, to, to really believe it and, and our act, make our actions believe it. But God is in control of those things. And, 
It's how bad circumstances can actually turn to good. We just sang it. What the enemy meant for evil, you turn to good. You've seen this before in your life. I know you have. We've all experienced these things. You've seen a bad situation actually turn into something good. I've experienced that. Even in small little ways, we've, we've probably experienced that. I was, um, yesterday was 9-11, you know, 20, 20 years later, and thinking about all of, you know, all of these situations and um, watching the specials and revisiting all of that and, you know, talking to my kids about it who weren't even born, right? I mean, it's just so interesting to think that there are people, you know, kids that ha- don't really know what that experience is like. And I was reading all these stories of people who missed, who missed it. I don't know if you've read these before. People who missed a flight, who missed the flight, or people who were late to work for whatever reason. And it's all these little, so, you know, if it had been any other day, these little things would have been annoying occurrences. Oh, I missed my flight because I was late, or I overslept, or this person did this, or, or whatever. And, and then we see, like, for them, for those people, those little annoyances saved their life. That's a small example of how of what God does and can do. It's just a small little example. We've seen it. We, we see it happen. Paul tells us in the New Testament in Romans, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Think about how Daniel reacted when he was brought to the lion's den. Did he fight it? Did he go get, did he, you know, try and make his you know, did, did he make an appeal? Did he try and escape? All of these things would seem rational for him to try and get away. But he just, he ends up just kind of going with it, trusting in God to protect him. He knows and he knew what the consequences of following God were. And he took the risk. If you believe that God is ultimately in control, you are able to rest instead of trying to work things out for your good. Think about that. We try and work things out for our good all the time, right? I know I, I do that. Uh, but, you know, if God works things out for good, I don't have to do it. I don't have to think and figure out and stress over how I'm going to turn this bad situation into good. God's on it, and it can give you a sense of rest. It can help you see that I don't necessarily have to try and right this wrong done to me or this offense. God's in control of it. Now, maybe you do. But you don't, you're relieved of the pressure of having to. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? It's hard for me sometimes. Do your actions show that you believe it? We've seen Daniel, he's not swayed by his circumstances. We've, we've looked at this the last few weeks. But he's, 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 he, he, he stands firm based on what he knew to be true. Do you sway to and fro, back and forth, based on your circumstances? Or do you trust and rest in a God who's in control of all things? One of the things I always come back to when, when, I'm, when I'm doubting or when I'm feeling out of control or when I'm looking at a situation and say, how can God, you know, is, is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the, the foundation of our faith, right? The ultimate evil turns into the ultimate good. I always come back to that. The killing of God's son. The ultimate, that's the, like the most evil thing that has ever happened on the face of this planet. But guess what? God turns it into the ultimate good, our salvation. He's able to, to change that situation. Salvation for all mankind. And if he can do that, he can do something in your situation. 
If he can do that, he can, he can work good in your salvation. He can do something miraculous. Daniel was able to rest in God's sovereignty, and he saw a miracle, right? The lion's mouths were closed. He was, he was, he was saved. Just think, think if he had just convinced Darius to not throw him in. Would this story be as great? <laughs> He's like, oh, hey, no, don't do that. Actually, change the law. Go back on yourself. And he's like, okay, you know what, Daniel? You're right. Okay, well, he lived. Great. What a, what a great story, right? He, he, he worked it out for good for himself. Daniel did. Talked himself out of it. Talked himself, you know, um, talked Darius out of this. And now he's saved. But instead, we get this story. This miraculous story. And he had seen God work in a very similar way before. Remember his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a very similar story He had seen his friends thrown into the fire and rescued. So he's seen God do this miracle before. Second, Daniel chose to rest in God's justice. Similar to to sovereignty, this relates to the the first point a little bit, but it's, it's it's a lot more specific. Daniel is found not guilty by God himself. And after he's rescued, God takes these who conspired against him and they suffer, and I mean, they really suffer, right? They get a big consequence, and it's something maybe even much harsher than we're comfortable with. Like, I, I look at that, and I'm like, their family didn't do anything. Like, why do they get consequences? It was these men, and, you know, that's just the kind of punishment that was customary back then. Like, the king would have said, all right, this is what happens. This is, you know, this is a deterrent. But what I want to take away is that God will, in his own time and in his own ways, right all the things that have been wrong. Daniel knows and knew that God was a just God. And here's here's where it's hard. Whatever God chooses to do, however he chooses to act, that's right and that's just. And it's not for me, and it's not for you, and it's not for Daniel to say, no, that's not right and that's not just. It's for God and God alone. If God chose to exact vengeance, that's right. Because we know God's character, and he is good, and he is just. So if God chooses to do something, that is good, and that is just. If he, cho- if he chose to relent, which he does a lot, through the, you, re- you read about it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, he chooses to relent and let people live, that's right too. Because it's God making the decision. It's not for us to decide, but only for us to accept and submit to him. Real, that's something hard for me to get my head around because, it, number one, it takes humility for me to realize that, guess what? My sense of justice is probably not always right. My sense of what I think is the right outcome is not correct all the time. It might feel right in the moment or to me, but I'm human. We have to trust in God's justice, and God will bring to justice all injustices one day. He will. And for those of us that trust in Christ, that trust in Jesus, our injustices, they've been taken care of on the cross. The things that you've done wrong, the things that I've done wrong, the sin that we've committed, for, for the Christian, those things are taken care of in the death of Christ Jesus, paid for by the blood of Christ. Those who do not trust in Jesus, they will have to pay for their injustices. They will have to pay for their sin in an eternity without God. God's justice is what sent Jesus to the cross. Because you and I, we're guilty. We've been found guilty. Someone needed to pay for the consequences of our sin. And God, Romans tells us, is the judge and the justifier, the one who 
the one who's just and the one who justifies. Instead of us paying the price, Jesus goes to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. God shows mercy on whom he will and doesn't on whom he will. And it's not for me to decide whether that's right or wrong. It's for me to submit to that. It's not for you to decide. It's for us to trust and rest in his justice. All things will be made right. God will correct all of these wrongs that we see in the world. And we have to trust him to do it. Third, Daniel chooses to rest in God's goodness, I believe. God's been good to Daniel over and over and over again. He was in a place of esteem, right? He had been taken from his family, taken from his nation, exiled. But then he's put in a place of authority and power. Out of many Hebrew people, Daniel didn't have it that bad compared to a lot of other people. His people had been exiled, but he'd been persevered for a purpose. And you know what? God's been good to you too. And you may be thinking, really? <laughs> Have you seen my life? Have you seen the suffering I've been through? You know, again, we just remembered 9-11. I was thinking about all those times and all, well, 20 years ago when we saw such an evil and heinous act that affected so many people, hurt so many people. What do you mean God's been good? How come there's so much evil in the world? This is what I mean whenever I say God's been good to you. When you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That means when you were an enemy of God, in the midst of your sin, when you were rebellious, when you were against him, Jesus went to the cross for you. You know, we talk about loving our enemies. We are the epitome of Jesus loving his enemies. He goes to the cross for people who sin against him every day. People who rebel against him. People who spit in his face. People who disobey him. How does Jesus treat you when you mess up? When you sin? When you go against his will? When you disobey? When you're wrong? When you intentionally rebel? When you turn your back on him? When you don't live up? When, when you're rude? When you're prideful? When you make bad decisions that you know you shouldn't make? How does Jesus treat you? Does he seek revenge? He doesn't celebrate over our destruction or the consequences to our actions. He doesn't gloat over us when we mess up and ask for forgiveness and say, I told you so, I told you so, and ask for mercy. He doesn't hold it over you or ridicule you like a kind father. He shows you grace and he shows you mercy and he picks us up and he brushes us off and he moves forward with us. When people get what's coming to them, whether it's right or wrong, our posture should be to continue to look at God and not celebrate over people's destruction and not celebrate over people's consequences and, and, and the justice that may come to them. Because you know what? You could be who they are. It's but by the grace of God that none of us are. Our hearts have been changed, not by our own doing, but by God's doing. You are where you are because of God and his goodness, not your own goodness. Not because of your strength, not because you're better or smarter or stronger. By the way, where's the line? That's what I always like to know. It's like, where's the line? At what point should others get what they deserve, but you shouldn't? At what point should you get what you deserve, 
you got mercy, you get grace. Why, why can't others? I know there, I, I can guarantee for every person in here, there is a time when you've done something wrong and you got away with it. Whether it was a law you broke, someone you disobeyed, a lie you told, something you got away with. How come, wh- wh- you don't, you should get what you deserve too, right? You've been shown great mercy. Who gets to decide the severity of the crime? I do, <laughs> right? You do. That's, that's the convenient answer. You're the one who gets, well, my sin wasn't as bad as theirs. That thing wasn't as bad as theirs. When we're looking for people to get what's coming to them, to take revenge, whatever that is, to celebrate over getting, getting it, right? Like finally, we forget who we are. Sinners deserving I, de- I, I deserve mercy, but they don't. I deserve grace, but they don't. I deserve salvation, they don't. When people get retribution or justice or consequences for their action, instead of enjoying that, instead of like relishing in that, you look to God and don't celebrate and don't look down upon them because you could be there. That could be you. We deserve an eternity without God because of our sin. And God saves us because of his goodness and his kindness. And he doesn't hold it over us. He doesn't seek revenge. He doesn't seek retribution. And in doing this, here's the thing. When, when you do this, when people get what they deserve, right, what they deserve, whatever that means, you'll be able to do it when people don't get what they deserve. Right? Whenever you see people get away with things, whenever you see people not receive justice for what they've done, you'll be able to still focus on God and say, you know what? God's going to take care of this one day. And you know what? If that person becomes a Christian or is a Christian, that person's justice has been taken care of on the cross of Jesus Christ, just like mine has. Are you okay with that? Sometimes it's hard for me, right? To think like that person, if if they're truly Christian, I can't decide that for somebody. Whatever they've done is paid for. Do I believe that? Because if I don't, then maybe mine hasn't been paid for either, right? Like that can, that can come back on you and start having you doubt your own. You look to God, you trust that one day his justice will prevail. Being good to all people, that's, such, that's so powerful, especially today, especially today. That's what draws people to him. That's what draws people to the church. That's... You know, it's easy to laugh or ridicule or say, I told you so. Those are, those are easy things to do, but what good does it do? Does that bring, bring people into relationship with God? Does that show them the love of Christ? But I was right. I was on the right side of history. I was on God's side. I was on the side that won. And now you have to admit that because that makes me feel good to see people who get what they deserve. And, you know, I'm just saying what we need to do is think, think about these, these, these three things and focus on God because you could be right there. We deserve an eternity without God. Humility, right? Andy Stanley is one of my favorite Bible teachers. So smart, able to communicate, writes things. And I'm just like, man, how could, <laughs> I wish I would have said that, right? How, how can I say that? And he said something that really stuck with me. He said this, he says, do you want to make a point or make a difference? Do you want to make a point or make a difference? 
In our social media, text message, internet world, it's really easy to make a point. That's the easy thing to do, make a point. It's easy to mouth off, to say a one-liner, you know, to troll someone online. It takes nothing to make a point. It's harder to make a difference, much harder to actually make a difference. Jay Kim is a pastor uh, in, I think, the Seattle area, and he wrote an article uh, that I read that was uh, about this point. He, he kind of took this from, from Andy Stanley and wrote an article about it. I'm just going to quote what he said here. He said, the path of least resistance is to make a point. We say what needs to be said. We say it as firmly and as loudly as we can. If others respond in the positive, our work is done and we feel accomplished. If they respond in the negative, we just volley right back. And back and forth goes on until we've either won or we're tired, we're exhausted, right? You just say, decide I'm going to hide that post or whatever that may be. The more difficult path is to make a difference. This usually requires humility, patience, sacrifice, and generosity. Making a difference always costs something. Time, money, energy, pride, ambition, plans. All sorts of things can and will be tampered with when we choose to make a difference rather than simply make a point. So why do it? Because nothing of lasting worth has ever come as a result of just making a point. Every moment in human history that's ever really mattered has come by way of an individual or a group of individuals choosing to make a difference. Pastor John has talked about slacktivists of the past, right? People who are really good at internet talk and message boards and social media comments and trolling and flaming, right? And 280 characters, but who would ev never actually act to make a difference and do something good in somebody's life. So as we wrap up here, I want to give you three practical ways that you can actually rest, okay? Rest, it's funny, rest feels passive, but uh, for, for people who, who act a lot, rest is, is hard, <laughs> Um, and uh, usually we're out for the revenge, we're out for the justice, we're out to make ourselves look good. So resting takes work. It's actually harder to rest. So how can you actively choose rest in today's polarized society? Number one, talk less and listen more. I don't know if you've ever watched the Hamilton musical. Uh, Hamilton, you know, it's a, you know, it's a hip hop and all that stuff on there. And there's there's a line in there that I always like. Uh, my daughter Hayden is in the back, and she. I told her I was like, I'm gonna talk about Hamilton. She's like, What are you gonna say? I was like, You have to go listen to it. Um, there's a line in there where Aaron Burr tells Alexander Hamilton, he says, Talk less and smile more. Because he's. I don't know if you know anything about a Alexander Hamilton, but he wrote a lot. Like he wrote a lot of stuff, and he talked a lot. And he's he's constantly talking in this musical, and he says, Talk less, smile more. Um, Making a point's all about talking. It's all about this, right? It's about words. It's about language. It's about showing how much you know, how winsome you are, how smart you are, quick-witted, showing off. And it's hard to actually have a conversation when you're talking so much. Um, thoughtful dialogue happens when you listen more and, and, and listen to understand, not just to to be able to fire back. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. 
people, people's thoughts and their minds and their purposes and their hearts, they're deep. Even if you think that they're shallow, they're actually very deep. Um, and if you'll listen to people, you'll be able to draw out understanding. You'll be able to understand um, by listening, listening to understand where people are coming from, being a person of understanding, asking questions to understand why people think and act the way that they do. I always find it funny, you know, it's like people, we, we make decisions, we're, we're comp- people are complicated, right? We make decisions, we contradict ourselves all the time. Um, you know, no matter how logical we think we are, we con- probably contradict what we believe m- much of the time. Uh, and people do this all the time. And I always find it's, it's interesting, you know, you, to just ask somebody, why? Why? You know, well, I believe this, or I think this. And I'll, you know, I just love asking that. Why do you believe that? You know, what, what led you to that? You know, and just understanding why. May, you know, and, and people have many different reasons why. You don't always have to agree. But you can gain understanding on why they act the way they do why they think the way that they do. Second, critique less and affirm more. Criticism, again, it's easy. Talk is easy. Criticism is easy. It's easy for me to find the bad, the faults, the what-ifs in any situation. We see things as black and white a lot of the time, and then many times they are. Things are cut and dry. But more often than not, there are circumstances and gray areas and situations that are much more nuanced than that. In our Bible study this morning with the youth, we were looking at Paul. And we're in uh, Philippians, and we're, we're looking at Paul, and he's talking about these two groups of people who have been emboldened to preach the gospel because he's in prison. One group does it out of goodwill, and he says the other one does it out of envy and out of, try- and out of trying to get, get back at him. Like the, there's, it's a negative reason. It's a bad motivation for preaching the gospel of Christ. And he says, they're trying to like get under my skin. They're trying to, to get back at me because they don't like me. Terrible motivation to preach Christ. And he says, but it doesn't matter because Christ, Christ is being preached. Paul looked at that and said, you know what? I could attack them. I could go after them. I could probably, I'm probably smarter than a lot of them. I could talk a lot, right? Like I'm, I'm very... In, very smart and intellectual but you know what Christ is being preached so I celebrate because of that people are way more complicated (laughs) affirmation is harder than criticism finding the good finding something positive in someone in an action in a situation it's harder to do it takes thinking it takes time to do the hard work of finding something you agree on with someone, right? Finding common ground. Put in the effort to find the good in someone or something. Even if you're very different, religiously, politically, culturally, you can find some kind of common ground, but that takes work. Finally, overthink less and do more. I had to think less. Overthink less. (laughs) I'm terrible at this, I'll tell you. Um, I can overplay or overthink something to death and never make a decision, never do anything. It's really easy to just stay at home, stay in your own mind, stay with your own thoughts, stay with what's safe. And I'm here to tell you, God wants you to act. God wants you to do 
something. God is calling you to know him and then go out and do something about that. Not sit in your chair and just go home and forget about all the stuff that's happening in the world. He wants you to act. He wants you to go out and show other people these truths. To live them out in front of people so that they see your restraint. They see your self-control. They see your focus on God. They see your humility. And they might actually just think, you know what? Maybe this God is worth checking out or worth a second look because this person, they don't act like I do. Darius saw it. Someone who you might just write off, right? Darius, this guy who doesn't follow God, the Lord, is evil, leader of this country, whatever. He was in power. He was against the purposes of God. He thought he was against the purposes of God. He was not, actually. Daniel didn't let his circumstances affect his actions. He pushed through them, and he focused on God. And literally, an entire nation was changed because of it. Literally. Darius made this decree that everyone would fear and revere the God of Daniel. And Daniel continues to prosper for the rest of his life, even through Babylon falling and another nation coming to take over. Daniel continues to prosper. Babylon falls. Persia takes over. Because he chose to rest, I believe, in God's sovereignty, justice, and goodness and not let his circumstances affect his outlook the way he acted. I read a great story on Facebook this week. I want to read it to you. This was from last year. It was from 2020. It was from a lady. Uh, her name is Beverly Greer or Gear. Uh, she wrote this kind of little anecdote, and I want to close with it. It tells, a, it tells about a man who didn't let circumstances affect his outlook. And I think, oh, man, I read it. I was like, this is such a great story. She says, this was June 3rd, 2020, okay? So think about where you were June 3rd, 2020. Sometimes I just want it to stop. Talk of COVID, protests, looting, brutality, I lose my way. I become convinced that this is the new normal and is real life. But then I meet an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio, diphtheria, Vietnam, protests, and yet he's still enchanted with life. He seemed surprised when I said that 2020 must be especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looking me straight in the eyes. He said, I learned a long time ago to not see the world through printed headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we can love big. Therefore, I choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. And he patted my hand and he said, old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, freeing them from the tether I had been holding. They float away. I'm left with a renewed spirit. Renewed spirit. My headline now reads, woman overwhelmed by the spirit of kindness and the reminder that our capacity to love is never ending. It is never ending. Your capacity to love is never ending. What headline... What headlines bother you? What circumstances are there in your life? And you can replace them. Right? Man remembers God's love for me. Right? Brother calls sister to have lunch. I went to church today. 
and worship the God of the universe. My family, I, I get to have lunch with my family today, right? Whatever headline, you got to replace. Think about those things. And, and, and I, w- I want to encourage you, people will see these things, I promise you, because in our society, it, in, in, this, in this world, just we're so against each other. And these types of little actions actually have meaning. They show people, man, I'm above that. I can love you regardless of what you've done or how you've acted or the things that you've, you know, your past, your sin. If you've wronged me, I can can trust in God's goodness. God will justify that one day. And you know what? I hope he justifies it in Christ for you. How powerful would that be? Somebody who's done, who's, who's offended you, who's come against you, for you to share that. God has paid for that. Remember, in your life, you could be there. That could be you. But for the grace of God, we have eternal life. But by the grace of God, there's a little bit of good in us. Let's close in prayer. Lance is going to come up and sing. I just want, want you to take some time to reflect on God's goodness, on his control, his sovereignty, his His love, his justice. How can you, what, what can you take today? Who, is there somebody in your life that you're thinking of right now? Like, man, I've criticized that person. I've gloated over that person. That person got what's coming to them, and, and I've, I've actually laughed about it. I've, I've been glad about their destruction. Number one, ask for forgiveness for that. That's not, that's not God's will for your life. That's not, that's not the love of Christ. But then number two, see if, see if God will change that in your life. If he'll, if he'll change your heart in remembering his goodness for you. Number one, God, you've been good to me. I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve a second chance. I deserve death, and you chose to send Jesus to die for me on the cross. And because of that, I can look at other people and I can see their circumstances and I can see the consequences and I can look at those and not feel joy, but I can feel sadness and a, and a desire to see them come out of that. Even if they've wronged me, even if they've wronged my family, even if they've wronged someone that I care about, I can look at them and say, you know what? I don't deserve mercy. They don't either. But, but God, would you work? Give us compassion and love and kindness and goodness and all these things. God, help us to choose rest over revenge. Be like Daniel and look at our, not let our circumstances dictate our actions, but let your goodness dictate, dictate that. Lance is going to sing and we're going to um, pass the offering plate. And as you feel led, you can stand and sing and worship God and reflect, but we're going to pass these, uh, the offering, put your, 